Welcome to the Republican Professor. Today we have at Charting Liberty again. Thanks for being here, Dale. Thanks, okay. Lucas. I'm excited. I'm glad that we could just, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes, I'm excited to be here again. And uh, as we're just like passing as two ships in the day, I can't wait to talk about this topic and see where we land. Cool. You texted me earlier about uh, an idea of Marxism and postmodernism are related somehow. Yeah, that's right. Somehow or other. Yeah. Are you ready to riff on that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's riff on it. Probably start with what the heck did I even mean by that? Yeah. Well, what I took you <laughs> to mean. Yeah. What I took you to mean is postmodernism is a denial of truth. Okay. And I thought you meant something like Marxism is materialism and that, that you know, materialism denies the existence of truth, something like that. Does that sure, sound yeah. familiar? Yeah, it does sound familiar. And it's a, I think that's a good general statement. How I look at postmodernism is that when you look at the grand scheme of Western civilization, you realize that, and, and this is, you know, and this, you hear these conversations still today that we included in the conversation everything that we could acquire as knowledge. And that's been the case all the way up until the last couple of centuries. And that means all spiritual things, we could get knowledge. That means it comes from holy books and religious things. We can get knowledge from reason, experience, science. So all of those different areas that we say we, you know, we value, we could know those things. Knowing God was something that was just as valuable and attainable as knowing petunias. So something happened in what's called the Enlightenment. And after seeing all these religious wars, we erroneously threw the God spiritual religious part out of it. We can't know that stuff anymore because we're tired of these two different kings fighting, one for Protestantism, one for Catholicism, and they're doing them both in the name of God, even though they're really doing it for economic and political power. In the name of God, you know, you shall be smited. And they fight each other, right? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, the abuses of religion. If we could just get rid of religion, we'd be better, right? So that's the enlightenment. Now, God is out of the equation. The highest authority is now reason. So we kept all the things that I just mentioned, but we just knocked one off. Goodbye, God. Goodbye, religious knowledge. We've cut off one of our aspects of, of knowledge. So now, in the modern era, era, we saw even more bloodshed, believe it or not. So the postmoderns came along and said, well, we can't trust religion, but now we can't trust reason either. Everything that we have needs to be reduced down to either material parts, which is the materialism you mentioned, and my experience. Otherwise, there's really nothing else that we could possibly know. So we went from Western man went from knowing and having a very open mind to get knowledge wherever it presents itself to being very narrow minded in the postmodern world which is why postmodernism feels like the death of truth because we just cut ourselves off from all these true things because we are tired of the way they were abused. That's a manner of speaking. There's a little historical layout. Yeah. 
And do you think that Marxism is more popular now as a result of that? Oh, huge. So I think that there was a vacuum because we got rid of the religious aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And of course, Marxism comes about in the 19th century when right. reason itself was beginning to die. And you see these movements in the 19th century that's Darwin, Marxism, the logical positivists, many other, the scientisms, all kind of cutting out all these different pieces of the grand puzzle of what it means to be human. And Marxism is part of that. And he offers, at the time, he couches it as an economic development. But the reality is, I have come to see, is more like a religious development. He believes in a telos for man. The end of history has a certain goal. He's not just saying, if we could just add two plus two in a better way, things would be better. He's actually saying man has a destiny. Man has fallen. The way man who has fallen can reach his achieved destiny is by going through all the steps of struggle and revolution till he can finally arrive. And so I have this this last month or so, I've been taking a step back and assessing all these Marxist messages we get on social media and in traditional media and on the university campus. And it's often been couched in postmodern terms to us as academics. Mm-hmm. But I realize what gives them any force at all is the Marxist religious movement that believes all the postmodern stuff, but infuses religious meaning into it and captures people into a cause in which they feel like truth may be dead, but fist in the air, we're going to create our own meaning and our own truth. And we're going to unify around this collectivist structure of utopian dreams. So I, that's what I've been seeing that this major force of postmodernism is actually a Marxist revolution enterprise to bring about communism. Hmm. I don't think it has much teeth apart from that. I think we'd just be all like nihilistic, individualist animals without some sort of coherent religious purpose to do this meaningless, postmodern, truthless life. Yeah. Does that make sense? I would love to hear your feedback on it because you come at this from a different angle than I do with your background. Right. Um, Well, I mean, if what you mean is that uh, Marxism is like a spiritual movement, I, I, I think there's something to that. There's a, it's a dark spiritual movement across history doesn't seem to be anything that uh well it's it's really abstract i think it's it's hard to that's part of why i say it's a spiritual thing because it's very abstract what we're saying um um what what exactly are you pointing at in your mind when you when you describe all that stuff is there something is there something that you have in your mind like an example, maybe? Uh, as far as Marxist ideology or what I see happening in, in society right now. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. All, any of the, above, okay. any, any of it, whatever comes to mind. Sure. Yeah. I could do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's interesting that the communist manifesto is originally called the communist confession of faith. Mm-hmm. And Marx actually thought of it as a religious mm-hmm. thing. I wouldn't surprise But uh, what I, what I see today, you know, if you just were to take the race and gender issues, 
Mm-hmm. And, or, or even the gender ones, because they're so obvious. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when people are presented with the idea of, you know, biology says this, and it has always said this, and we've always thought of it in these terms, but all of a sudden people are saying, well, biology is just a construct. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of point out the idea, well, it's, that, that means men and women are interchangeable. There actually is no such thing as a woman or what that sex or gender is that you are. And then you, then you point out the contradictions, right? Like well, what gives birth? And then they start saying, well, women give birth, but on our new construct, it's just a birthing person. And then you say, but why get a sex change then if it's all fluid? Why do you feel like you need to go to another sex if your very sex is fluid itself? It's like, well, it's what I kind of feel like. But the more you box in this idea and realize there's nothing reasonable about it, You'll find most, well, you know, a lot of people who are committed to it don't care about the reasons. All they care about right. is the deconstruction. Yeah. Now, those of us who care about reason, because we're still modernists, we're like, well, we're, the rules of the game are this has to make sense or <laughs> else it's not true and you shouldn't pursue it. It's not worth your time. But for a, de- for a Marxist, the idea is whatever is going to deconstruct what we perceive as the power structure, and in this case, our definition of sex and, of course, the power structure of science being authoritative. We need to deconstruct that and break it down so that that authority and that power no longer exists. So we can now fill that vacuum and we can become the power. Now, once they capture it, they don't care about it anymore. So that's a, they, gay marriage. They don't care about that anymore. I mean, it's one of those things where everybody just kind of is accepting it. And so they don't fight for it in general, it seems. But this is the thing they're going to fight for, this gender thing. And as soon as it becomes deconstructed and codified by law or whatever it is, they'll move on to the next thing in order to continue to erode away the very principles of what make life good in order for this new kind of religious movement to step in, have a new confession. You need to confess your sins that you were racist, confess your sins you're a bigot. And once you do that and you struggle through that, then you can be born again into the new enterprise of realizing and agreeing with who we are. In 1984, that's exactly how it ends. It's the struggle sessions that he must go through to admit that two plus two is five. And it's such a relief to him at the very end that he could finally say it and melt into the corporate structure. And that's, of course, the sad part of 1984. Nobody talks about that part of it, but that's how the whole thing ends. We just give in to the irrationality, which is cult-like. Every cult... Religious cult behaves in the exact same way. Just confess, just struggle, realize you're inferior, realize, you know, accept the gaslighting, and then you'll be a holy person in our group. And once you become holy, well, then it's wonderful. That's why Clarence Thomas is a white supremacist, is a black guy, because he's not holy. He won't become holy until he becomes a Marxist. (laughs) Wow. He won't be black until he's a Marxist. And in fact, you can't even be cisgender until you believe in no gender. That's just the way that they, that game works. Hmm. At least that's where I where I'm at sitting, where I sit, you know, but you can't believe everything you yeah. see on Twitter, but that's where it is. I don't spend a whole lot of time on Twitter. How about you? Do you do you spend a whole lot of time on Twitter? Not a whole lot, but more. I'm doing it more. I actually okay. find Twitter to be super helpful. Really? But it, it's a uh, yeah, that'd be a, a different, you, interesting conversation. How do you make sense of Twitter? Because to me, it's just depressing. 
<laughs> well, I think I think part of it has to do with curating a good group of people to follow. And when you do that, you find that there's actually some decently mature and thoughtful people show up. Uh, but to me, what makes Twitter different from Facebook and Instagram, which I spend most of my time on Instagram, is that every single comment and conversation you have is thoroughly exposed in public. On Instagram, I can make a comment on your post and none of my followers know it. Uh, but on Twitter, I can make a comment on your post and everybody knows it and they can get involved that way if they want. Oh, so it makes okay. me much more cautious that I just can't throw around these fun little snippet things like I do on Instagram. On Twitter, it's like, oh, I need to kind of behave myself rather than just, you know, lackadaisically throw around thoughtful discussion. I got to make sure that's something that I want an audience to see. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but I, yeah. And it, they do politics, you know, culture. Uh, I follow people in the cryptocurrency space. I mean, there's a, there's, there's just a wide variety of people that if you find quality people, quality, other quality people show up in those conversations. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I'm that's... still, I'm still learning more about it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 in, that's interesting. How do you hope to use Twitter? For well, that's liberty. what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I, I think that if I can get some traction on there, I could see it being more useful to me than even my Instagram account, which I've worked on for six years and built up, you know, a decent following. So I, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. If Twitter, I hope Twitter evolves into this, you know, everything platform that Elon is, you know, teasing us with. It'd be yeah. a great place that if it could go into the blockchain, become more censorship proof. If we could do podcasts through it, build communities, have private conversations in communities on it. Of course, they have the live broadcasting. I think it could be a real outlet for, for journalism, but also for the average guy to show up in the public square, square with some tools in his, in his pocket to say something and, and, and not be deleted. A great place for transacting money in the crypto space. All that kind of stuff is very promising, but we'll see. That's great. Okay. Yeah. How do you plan on using Instagram? Well, the same way I'm doing it now, but I'm trying to get more organized. So organization is the key, isn't it? It's People want to know what you're sharing. It's tough because Instagram is not very friendly, I don't think, to you know long-form discussion. I don't think. No, uh, I, I agree. It's not. I see maybe... it as a... It, it, in general, it's, it, can, it can be mildly educational, which is how I've used it, but it's also like a brochure. And I think seeing it as a brochure, just to get people to come over to the Republican podcast or, you know, those kinds of things, it's a, that, gotcha. that is very important. That's okay. how people find you. Yeah. I see. Okay. Uh, do you think it's important to try to be an influencer? What they call an influencer? <laughs> uh, I think it's important to own the space that God has given you. Okay. That's what I think is important and own it by bringing goodness and truth and beauty and all the things that, that uh, God cares about for a good life in that space. And sometimes it's going to be speaking out publicly. Sometimes it's going to be happening in your own living room with your family. But I don't think everybody is, has the gifts to have a public platform, but I think if you do have some of those gifts, these are great opportunities to do it. Some people like to do it down at, you know, town hall. And if they do, you know, that's great. Some people like to do it online. Depends on 
what you can do. But I say everybody should be involved in some way. And they got to own their space that they've been given and, and, and bring, bring truth and beauty into it. But isn't the influencer business model about taking space? It's a, it's about, it's about creating space for yourself. Right. Yeah. It seems it, to be it, what it is in the, in the way of like building up a platform, that kind of thing. Well, well, see, it's, it's not just, you wake up and you go, God, what space did you give? And, you know, down from heaven comes a space and yeah. that's your space. <laughs> um, yeah. That's how I don't, I don't think of it that way. Um, it sounded like almost medieval the way you were talking about it. Like God gave you this, you know, you're, you're working for this landlord or something. Uh, <laughs> God, God gave it to you and just cultivate that, you know, that area. But, but I don't uh, mind the medieval, I don't mind the medievals, the medievals and the Renaissance, those dudes are pretty cool. But I, I, I think that at least I should say that that's the starting place. I mean, as soon as you get, have a, a friend, as soon as you make a friend, your space is expanded. As soon as you get, when you get married, your space is expanding with kids, your space expands with your workplace, all of the domain of your influence and to want to create more influence is important. But of course we have to ask ourselves, why do we want to do that? Is it for the sake of goodness to bring goodness to other people? Or are we doing it only to pat our own pocketbook? And that's been, you know, a constant tension because it's really hard to bring goodness to people free because your time is worth it. And so, you know, trying to find a way to ethically and morally say, Hey, you know, I want to offer this, but it needs to be a mutual exchange. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a lot of influencers go where they're like, wow, I can make money doing funny dances and telling jokes or whatever on Instagram. And, you know, and it's like, okay, well be good at telling jokes first. And then bring that to the people. But a lot of people just want the influence rather than the content that they need to have for the influence. And we get that backwards. So that definitely would be an abuse. Yeah. Well, how do they get the influence if they don't have, if there's not a fair exchange? Like, I mean, oh, doesn't, that, doesn't I nature kind of abhor that kind of, uh, you're a free market guy, right? Free market. Yeah. Well, but that happens, when it that happens to, naturally, right? As long as there's no regulations. That's right. Well, it's true because I don't have to give away anything that I have worked so hard for in knowledge and understanding and in my gifts. I don't have to do, you know, dramatic storytelling. I don't do any of that. So if I'm offering it to you, I'm doing it out of my beneficence. And I would hope that the appreciation would then reciprocate and say, oh, I, I want to continue to fuel this for you, for your sake as well as for others. I think we talked about this last time about giving to churches. I'm like, we give to the work that's being done that we believe in, but just feeling obligated, I got to give to this random organization out of obligation is, isn't the best way to go about it. But yeah, well, you know how all influencers start is how all of us start. You start out by getting a small customer base by handing out free samples. And once you have the free samples and people want more, that's what we do with cotton candy. We sell cotton candy at the farmer's market. And the key to selling cotton candy is you find a kid when you start out and you make him a big cotton candy and hand it to him and say, this is for free on one, 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 one condition. You have to walk around all the way around this farmer's market and slowly eat and enjoy your cotton candy. And if anybody says, oh, where'd you get that? You just say over there. 
There you go. There's the free cotton candy. And before you know it, people just start showing up and then they pay for the cotton candy. And now it's the mutual exchange. I see. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I Going back to the, the tithing thing. I, I think. Oh, that... no, not this again. Yes, go, go. <laughs> well, you brought it up. <laughs> I, I think that a lot of times people do things uh, if they do it out of discipline, it's because they make a commitment to something that they think is good prior mm -hmm. to any individual day they're doing it, just like working mm -hmm. out, just like sticking to a diet, sticking to mm -hmm. the Sabbath, any anything that you have, you know, or the other Ten Commandments, not murdering people, you know, you don't always feel like doing that. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it's not always the joyous motivation that motivates something like giving um it might be a that's discipline right. might be a discipline oh, i totally agree and i think I that's totally how agree. i actually think that's how god designed it but yeah i mean it's right there in the law uh, so the discipline aspect of it is not always bad um nope and I think it could actually be helpful because otherwise it sometimes feels like it's a race to the bottom, the lowest common denominator. It's like, you're just trying to get people to like you. So they'll give, and that's not good for a church. No, no. So, but, but you, know. you want people that are there that have the discretion and the discernment yeah. to see that they're not just giving well, to they, you. They so do. Many, so many people. Yeah. So many people will give to the televangelist because he's giving out free hankies with his tears on it. And so it's like <laughs> he's ex exploiting people and they will be very committed to it. So it's like, okay, yeah. commitment alone is not sufficient. It has to be the one who's the recipient yeah. has to be faithful in the work. That's and that, that's to me, I mean, I'll find nonprofits all the time in which, okay, I'm going to give to this. I'm going to give to it for one year or two years because I believe in the vision of it. Yeah. But if they deviate from that, it's like, okay, I'm going to take a step back or my goals might be different. I'm going to give to this until they find other donors to fill my spot because my giving will accelerate their marketing and their work so others will notice. And so my goal sometimes is just to get them started. And so, but those, there's so many different ways. I just think that a wise man does not commit to something that is not good. But a wise man will be disciplined that when a good thing shows up, he will make sure that it prospers mm -hmm. through his commitment. That's probably okay. how I would look at it. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. All right. Are you taking donations for a Republican professor? How I'm do people subscribe? To, I'm happy to take donations. Um, I, I haven't had anybody ask me that before. We should do a whole topic on that. How do we get Republican professor to the next level. Are we doing producing here or are we, we're live, you know, we're live, right? I, I well, what's the, what's the next level? What does that mean? That's a good question. Well, you have to know what you, it would be. What is the Republican professor's vision for the next level and how do we all get behind it? Emphasis on all. Yes, I want, all, I want the all. Democrats behind it too. Okay, all right, all right. They but will, we got to start somewhere. It starts with five donors, you know. Joe, no, 
It starts with Joe Biden. He will bow yeah, he the knee. He, <laughs> <laughs> he will definitely bow the knee to a higher power than 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 he realizes. Yeah. All right. Well, I know you got a hard stop coming up here, so. Yeah, I'm glad Maybe we did we'll this. Start. Yeah, it's good hanging out Thanks with you. Thanks for letting me stop by your office here at the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. And it was a nice, calm day, not well, too new, too windy. We'll have to call this office hours or something like that. I if we're going to do a series, should be office hours. Or I don't know, whatever. Okay. You know, maybe Definitely. we'll use a ship metaphor. Uh, I love stern it. Off, stern hours or or what's the cabin hour? No, Talk, that's too abstract. Talking on the, talking on the poop deck. Everybody oh, loves wow. to say poop deck. <laughs> All right, no thanks. pooping happened on the poop deck, just so you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're going to get a bunch of kids loving this. Well, that's good. We should get the kids. That's right. Featured owners. Thanks, Dale. All right.